A lot of people say that they don't read the Bible because they don't understand it. And as a Christian, I feel like it's my duty to teach it to you. Welcome to the Ghetto Bible Tales. I'm your host, Jerrica, and here we talk about biblical and spiritual things in a comical yet understandable way. We're going to learn, but we're going to laugh too. So grab your Bibles and your sense of humor and get ready for this. It's your girl, Jerrica, and I am back with yet another ghetto Bible tale. And today we're going to discuss Ruth and Boaz. So get ready for this one. This is the finale of season five, y'all. We have made it through yet another season of ghetto Bible tales. Thank y'all for continuing to watch and support me and leave your comments and stuff like that. Thank you. And people that share, thank y'all for all y'all support. So this is the finale of season five. And this video was requested by at Sheenless on YouTube. Names at the bottom of my screen because I couldn't pronounce this wrong. I'm terrible at this. Y'all know this. So before we can get into the story of Ruth and Boaz, we must first discuss the rules of context. Y'all know how this go. I already got a video on rules of context that I explain them deeper. I will leave a link in the video description box. Please go check that video out. But for the sake of this video, we're just gonna run through them real fast. Rule number one is language. The Bible wasn't originally written in English. It was originally written in ancient Hebrew and ancient Greek. Take that into consideration when you're reading and studying. Rule number two go hand in hand with rule number one, and that is history and culture. The history and culture of the Bible is of ancient Israel. Your modern day culture in whatever country you're from does not correlate, okay? All cultures are different. All uh, places have different history, so the rules don't apply. So don't apply your modern day culture to the Bible. Rule number three is reading the Bible as a whole. Too many times people cut and copy and paste and chop the Bible up in bits and pieces and, and it don't work, okay? Read the Bible, take it for what it is from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, okay? The final rule of context is the Holy Spirit. Before you can get into this book, you must first talk to the Lord your God. Ask Him to bestow a Holy Spirit upon you so that it can teach you and that is the only way you're going to ever understand about. Once you gain an understanding of the rules of context, we can proceed on in our story. The story of Ruth and Boaz take place in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is a pretty short read. Um, it is four chapters. Ruth takes place in the time of Judges. Um, that was before they had kings. So a judge is basically somebody who uh, operated as a political leader of Israel. Um... They didn't necessarily have to have some kind of political background or or uh, or royal background. It was whoever God chose at the time. So each judge was different. Like sometimes it'd be a priest, sometimes it'd be a prophet, sometimes it'd just be some random dude. It was whoever God felt like he wanted to use. So I'm not sure who was the judge during the Book of Ruth, but it, they definitely didn't have a king yet. So before. Um, in the time of Judges, a man from the tribe of Judah, uh, he was from Bethlehem, 
and he took his wife Naomi and his sons and he moved to Moab. Uh, apparently this is because there was a famine in Israel. So they were really running low on food. So this man by the name of Elimelech. Elimelech, Elimelech. His name at the bottom of the screen. If you can pronounce that, God bless you. For the sake of this video, I'm gonna call that man Eli because I can't. This is too much. So anyway, Eli, Naomi, and their two sons moved to Moab because there's a famine in Israel and they ain't got no food. Um, the sons' name were at the bottom of the screen. <laughs> they names at the bottom of the screen. Malon and Chilion. Whatever. Okay, they names at the bottom of the screen and good. Kudos to you if you can pronounce it. So Eli dies while in Moab. And um his sons marry two Moabite women. And their names are Orpa and Ruth. Ten years pass, and then the two sons die. And they didn't have no children. So they left Naomi along with two daughter-in-laws. So basically, it was three widows. Cause like I said, neither one of the women had children. And then, you know, the two boys were Naomi's kids and they did. So her husband died and her two sons died. And she just left two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah. So Naomi's in Moab and I guess she's longing for home. So somehow she heard that God was working back in Israel. So she wanted to go back home. So apparently, you know, like I said, for like 10 years, Israel went through a famine. But I guess good things started happening and God started blessing Israel again. And, you know, the land started being more beneficial. And this was Naomi's home. So she wanted to go back to Bethlehem, which is where she was from. The tribe of Judah, they settled in Bethlehem, FYI. So she wanted to go back to Bethlehem. Um, so she told her daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, that they should go back home to their own families and to their own gods because she don't have she's too old to have any more children to wed to them so if they go back to their own kind then maybe they can um you know start over remarry and have children she kisses them she blesses them and apparently they all in like a good relationship like these two women seem to really love naomi um, is I don't know if that's common or not for like daughter-in-law and mother-in-laws to love each other the way these women love this woman. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's that common. I mean, I've seen instances of it, but from 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 what I see these days, the mama, mother, mother-in-law and daughter-in-law don't usually even get along. But I will say that my mom and my grandmother, my dad's mom, they were really close. Um, and my mama herself compares her relationship with my grandma to Naomi and Ruth, so. But anyway, Orpah and Ruth don't want to leave Naomi, so they tell her that they're gonna follow her. But she begs them to stay because she's like, y'all still young, y'all still beautiful, you still can bear children, you should go remarry. And honestly, Naomi kind of felt like uh, she was cursed or whatever, because she said that she felt like the hand of God was against her. 
because you know she just lost her husband and then she lost both of her kids so she she felt like if ruth and orpah stayed with her then bad things would happen to them so she was really really trying to convince them to go back to their families and start over the scholars believe that maybe naomi is the one who convinced her husband to even move to moab in the first place and now she feel guilty because her whole family did and they didn't really prosper all that much in moab However, she was about to make her return back home to Bethlehem and to God, finally. So anyway, they all kissed, they all hugged and cried and this, that, and the third. And Orpa left and went back to her family. But Ruth stayed. She told Naomi, I ain't going nowhere. I'm staying with you. You know, whoever your God is, going to be my God is. Whatever your home is, it's going to be my home. I'm going wherever you go. Now, fun fact. According to ancient Babylonians, Orpah goes on to become the mother of Goliath, the giant. I don't know if y'all knew that. Apparently, that's what uh, ancient Babylonians say about Orpah. She gave birth to four giants, Goliath being one of them. Um, I don't know if y'all also know that Goliath was defeated by David and David was Ruth's grandson. Great grandson. He was her great grandson. Yeah. David was Ruth's great grandson. So that's an interesting little fun fact for you. Anyway, Ruth makes a commitment to follow Naomi and they go back to Israel. So when they make it to Bethlehem, everybody is so excited to see Naomi. So she must have been a really loved person back home. But everybody was real excited to see her and love up on her. But she tell them that, you know, her time away wasn't good and she felt like they shouldn't be uplifting her and showing her no love. So she told them to call her Mara, M-A-R-A, which, which means bitter because Naomi means life, if I'm not mistaken. And she was like, that name don't fit me no more. So call me Mara, which apparently means bitter because she was in a very bad place mentally and spiritually. That's when we meet our boy Boaz. So Boaz is Eli's cousin. I think that's his cousin. That was those, Naomi's husband's cousin. Yeah. So, he was a rich man with a very huge field. He had a lot of workers working up under him. And after he, after uh, his workers, you know, worked on the field, Ruth would go out there and she would work, also work the field after they left and get whatever they didn't take with them. Um. So Boaz saw her one day working outside and he was impressed by her work ethic. So there was already news that Naomi had come back to Bethlehem and that she brought her widowed uh, daughter-in-law with her. Um, and you know, back then you had to have a man to take care of you, a man, to, a man had to go out and work for you and bring home the bread, literally like food. Um, and Naomi did not have that. She was old. And because of that, Ruth would go out and work the field. So she would go work Boaz's field when his workers were done. So she was there late. 
and he saw her one day out there working the field and he was impressed by her working. So when he asked about her, he uh, everybody told him, you know, that's the young lady that came back with Naomi. And he was even more impressed by the fact that not only is she out here working, but she out here working to help Naomi. That right there starts to build up the reputation of Ruth. Your reputation is very, very, very um, important. And whether you know it or not, people are always watching. And in this instance, Ruth was working to take care of herself and her mother-in-law and somebody was watching and that person was Boaz. And I think if she hadn't have done this, she would never caught his eye in the first place. One thing about it, Boaz never commented on how Ruth looked, ever. He never said, oh my gosh, she's so beautiful. I'm I'm in love. Like he is the way people paint the Ruth and Boaz situation. You would think that he like fell madly in love with her. He had to have her. That really was not it. Homeboy saw girl working and he saw how she cared about Naomi and he was impressed by her reputation. He had nothing to do with what she looked like. He was impressed by how she was carrying herself. So anyway, when he sees that and then he hears about how she's taking care of herself and Naomi. He tells her, you don't have to worry about working in any field. He he provides her security and safety and comfort. He tells her that she don't have to wait till after they um his people leave. She, he tells her that she can come and work with the women of his female employers. And that he would tell his female, I'm sorry, his female employees. And that he would tell all the males not to bother her to leave her alone. That she would be safe. And he provided safety and security for her to work and take care of herself and take care of Naomi like we live in a world where women women want to be kept like they don't want to have to go do nothing but what attracted Boaz to Ruth in the first place was her work ethic he was like she ain't scared to get out here and get it and because he saw her work ethic and he saw how much she cared for and loved Naomi, he was like, I want to help her. So he provided her security and a safety net. He provided her a, a, a secure job and 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 he benefits basically a job and benefits. Like he would protect her. She can she can also get water from there and food from there and work the field. So he was paying her, feeding her, and everything. All from him watching her go get it on her own. So he was like, let me aid her. Because clearly she wants something for herself. So let me help her. So because of that, he provided stability for her to continue to work. So that work, they go hand in hand. Not just one person taking care of the other. They go hand in hand with him providing stability and a safe environment for her to work in. So she thanked him and she asked him, you know, Why? And like I said, he was—he had said that he had heard how good she was being to Naomi, and he was impressed by how hard she was working. Especially since Ruth is not an Israelite, she's a Moabite, and the Moabites have a bad reputation anyway. And so for the fact of the matter of a Moabite coming to Bethlehem to help an Israelite woman for free, because Ruth wasn't being paid to help Naomi, she was doing it out of the love of her heart. He was very much moved by that. She worked from sun up to sundown. Ruth put in work all day. So I'm going to say sun up to sundown for 12 hours. <laughs> she worked 12 up to 12 hours a day, every day, to make sure her and Naomi got something to eat. 
So she wasn't sitting up perched, you know, well, looking pretty, hoping that she attract a nice male. Nah, she went out there and she was working and she wasn't thinking about no man. So over time, uh, over the harvest time, Ruth continued to work in Boaz Field. She she worked with his uh, employees as well as him. So I imagine they got to know each other while they were working. Um, so Ruth, you know, eventually tells Naomi about how Boaz let her work the field and this, that, and the third. And Naomi tells her, you know, you need to keep going. That's a good, you got a good situation there. You need to stay going there. And then after harvest was over, Naomi encouraged Ruth to approach Boaz about marriage. This is where leverage marriage comes into play. I've discussed leverage marriage in a very old ghetto Bible tale about um, Tamar and Judah. I'll leave a link to that one in the description box. But leverage marriage is when a male relative of a deceased man is encouraged to marry the deceased man's wife to further the bloodline. So Boaz was what they would call a goal. It's at the bottom of the screen. I'm assuming it's pronounced goal, G-O-E-L. So a goal was the person who was chosen to take over the responsibility of the bloodline. So basically with Naomi's sons being dead, uh, Boaz and I think two other men were obligated to take on the dead man's responsibilities, which would be, which could be land, livestock, and a wife. So in this case, Ruth was a widow of Elimelech's sons. And like I said, Boaz was their goal. So Ruth had every right to ask Boaz to fulfill the leverage marriage responsibility. Now, he didn't have to, but it was her right to ask. And Naomi uh, encouraged her to do this because Boaz was well off and he he obviously showed that he would take care of her. So Naomi was like, this is a good situation. You continue to, you know, showcase your goodness and your good attitude and you work nice with that man and then maybe he'll marry you. Basically, Naomi said, girl, go get your man. So, Ruth shot her shot and she scored. <laughs> so, but she didn't, she didn't go throw herself at Boaz. She, she humbled herself and she came very submissively and very respectfully, might I add. And, um, Boaz agreed to marry her. Now he went through the the proper channels before he agreed to marry her because like I said, there were like two other people who could have had a hand in marriage before he could claim her. So, you know, like I said, the goal took on all all of the deceased man's stuff. So Elimelech had land and all type of stuff. And, and, and if you limit, like, hey, they also took on the depths of the dead man. So, you know, Boaz, when they talked to this other guy, he was like, you know, Naomi brought back so-and-so's widow. Um, and also, you know, Eli owned all this land. He da-da-da-da. So one of the guys was like, oh, yeah, I want the land, blah, 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 blah. But Boaz was like, but that means that you have to accept this widow as well if you accept the land. 
And dudes like, yeah, I know I already got a wife. I ain't trying to do that. And so Boaz was like, well, I'll do it. So Boaz took on all of Elimelech's debt as well as Elimelech's uh, land and the responsibility of taking care of Ruth and no, Naomi. Boaz showed himself to be a good man of God. So Ruth's submission to him was in good hands. Like for some reason, Boaz was painted as like a jellyback man or a simp. And I don't really understand why. Because from what I read, ain't no inclination of him being that at all. Because he was not trying to push himself up on Ruth. He wasn't trying to get with her or nothing. He was just simply, he saw a sister in need and helped. And that's a good quality for a man to have. He he saw a woman and he wanted to help her. And he didn't ask for no favors. He didn't say, if you have sex with me, I'll do this for you. He didn't do none of that. He was just being helpful because he saw how good she was being. Because she had such a great reputation of being this this nice and caring woman who also didn't mind going to get her hands dirty and working, he helped her. And like I said, he didn't ask for no sexual favors. That's kind of rare, especially this day and age, especially then. Especially then. Most women had to give their body to get something and she didn't have to do nothing but have a good reputation. So Boaz already had shown himself as a, a, a man of God just by assisting her. And like I said, a lot of people also don't ever make mention of the fact that he didn't even ask Ruth to marry him. She proposed to him. Ruth shot her shot at Boaz. He didn't come to her, not once. As a matter of fact, when she did come, he was like, you know, he did, and he wanted to do things the right way. And he did, he handled business like a man. It is easy to like, people look at submission as like, it's a weak thing. If the man is on his purpose and he's doing what God tell him to do, I don't see no problem with submitting to that man. Boaz went and handled business. He handled business. Because when she did propose to him, Boaz was outside watching his field. He hadn't sent all the employees home and he was out there watching his land. Because you know they used to have night raids. So he was out there watching his land. Boaz took care of business. And then, outside him taking care of business, he was helping people. And then this man followed proper protocol to do, like, this was a, a man, a real man. And I don't see no problem with no woman submitting to, I wouldn't mind cooking and cleaning for this man. <laughs> if you can handle your business and be a man, why not? Submission is not a bad thing. I don't know. Honestly, we submit to God all the time. I don't see how people, why women particularly look down their nose at submission as if they're in some kind of position of weakness. That's not a position of weakness. You got to submit yourself to God and the man got to submit to God. Submission is what we do as Christians. So it's not a place of weakness. As a matter of fact, submission is a place of strength. You know how hard it is to push yourself out the way to submit to God, let alone a man, to God. There's not a place of weakness. That's a place of strength. And people got to stop looking at it like it is. But anyway, Ruth and Boaz agree to get married. They have a wedding and it's apparently a big shindig in Bethlehem and everybody's happy and they live happily ever after. 
For those of you that don't know, Ruth, like I had mentioned previously, Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David. Um, And for those of you who are the Bible geeks like me, you know that Ruth's um, Jesus comes from their bloodline. So Ruth's a Moabite woman help further and create a bloodline that Jesus Christ is born through in the human world. So that's a big deal. And like I said, they say that Orpah's son was Goliath. And y'all know Goliath and King David went to, you know, David took off Goliath's head. So I'm just saying, I did a video on it too. That's, I'm going to leave a link to that in the description box as well. But anyway, that is the story of Ruth and Boaz. You do not have to take my word for it. You can read it for yourself in the book of Ruth. Four simple chapters. Thank you to Sheenless for requesting this video. Thank y'all for watching yet another season of Ghetto Baba Tales. This has been season five. Um, and I forgot to mention that October marks um the anniversary month of Ghetto Baba Tales. I want to say I think this has been eight years online. So um if you haven't, you should go watch all the seasons of Ghetto Baba Tales and celebrate. But anyway, thank y'all for watching this video. Um, please like, comment, and share. This is the finale of, of season five. However, I will still be posting some short form content. So you can always be looking for a new short video on the YouTube shorts or on TikTok or Instagram. Um, so make sure you follow me at all of those. It's at Gendo Baba Tills. Um, or at Jerica Nicole on my personal page, either one. I post videos on both. So just because this is the fine finale of the full length videos does not mean that you won't be getting any content. I will be doing short form videos. So make sure you follow me on all my social media pages. They are all linked in the description box below. Please go back and watch old seasons if you haven't. And if you want to request a video, please leave a comment in this video or go to getabobtails.com and leave your request there. This has been your girl, Jerrica, and until next time, I'm out, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. All Ghetto Baba Tale episodes are posted on YouTube simultaneously in video format. You can follow Ghetto Baba Tales on all social media pages at Ghetto Baba Tales. You can also head on over to GhettoBibleTales.com and request a story or topic that you wish for me to discuss on the show. Once again, this has been your host Jerrica and this has been the Ghetto Bible Tales.